Just a heads up, today's episode doesn't get into anything graphic, but should be said that we do discuss some mature themes. Who sings this? <laughs> Is it Pam Zapperman? and welcome to the podcast, The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, from the Community Library Network in North Idaho. I'm Michaela, And I'm Roxanne. And today we're talking about, well, actually, before we talk about the thing we're going to talk about, we want to enlist your help real quick. <laughs> help. Help. We've been trying to come up with a tagline for this podcast. We need a smoother way of ending our episodes instead of saying, like, Bye. Yeah. Or see you next time. We don't see you ever. Something nice and lovely that we can say to you upon parting that will make you excited for the next episode, give you a feeling of closure, you know, do all of the the necessary emotional heavy lifting. Without us just saying, and remember, the book isn't necessarily better. Yeah, because we're awkward, but we don't want to be corny. See, I think I'm more corny than awkward in general. I buy that. (laughs) (laughs) And I am the reverse. Yeah. Podcast at communitylibrary.net. We would love some suggestions about how to close the show out. Please. We need help. (laughs) Today we're talking about a subject very near and dear to my heart. We're going to try and talk about many of the characters in the Sherlock Holmes universe. But it's a big universe. There's a lot to talk about. So we are going to start tackling this one character at a time. It is so big, in fact, did you know? How big is it? (laughs) That Sherlock Holmes is the most portrayed literary fictional character on film. Wow, I did not know that. And I love that fact because I won a trivia contest (laughs) by knowing that. Oh, man. We Mm -hmm. should recruit trivia teams from our listeners. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I need people who are good at sports. Oh, yeah, we're also bad at that. Because clearly we have English and history down, but (laughs) sport people help. Mm -hmm. We also go to a trivia where they play music and you have to identify. Those are the worst. I know, from like 10 seconds of a song, I'm bad at it. I don't listen to contemporary music. So if any of you out there do, I need you on my trivia team. It's like how I want you to tell me seriously what the deal is with why Voldemort hates Harry and... (sighs) I know I could Google it, but I want you to tell me and you won't. Okay. We'll, we'll have to do a special edition podcast like where I just explain Harry Potter and Voldemort to you. <gasps> I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I do. Okay. Look out for the mini-sode coming soon. Uh, Harry Potter versus Voldemort. I don't know what my equivalent will be. We'll have to think of it. Something I explained to you. Okay. Yeah. We'll keep an ear. I think I already did that and it was Truman Capote's life. Oh, yeah. And just... you already did it and it was Mary Shelley's life. And no, uh, you do occasionally give me like some little history lessons on stuff I don't know about. But today you're going to give me history lessons more so because. Oh, I hope so. While I did Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's biography today, Mm -hmm. I'm enlisting your help because this is definitely where you have been a long term fan. And I actually had never read a Sherlock Holmes story. I think that's so crazy. I'm so glad you finally have, though. Yeah, um, I just had never actually gotten around to reading one. And so today we are focusing on Sherlock Holmes and we're hoping to make this a series. Like we're going to do Shakespeare in the future again. We're going to do Sherlock Holmes in the future. So we're just going to focus on specific aspects today. Mm -hmm. And what we're focusing on today is specifically the story, A Scandal in Bohemia, which came out in 1891, and the character of Irene Adler. Mm -hmm. Now before we do, I'm going to go through the biography of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, and Michaela 
jump in with all your fun did you knows. Okay. All right. My first fun did you know, and I actually see it in your notes, so never mind, but his middle name is Ignatius. I know, I love that. It's so good. So Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was born on May 22nd, 1859 in... Scotland? I wasn't even going to (laughs) try. I feel like I'm going to... Edinburgh? Sure. I, okay, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. Edinburgh, Edinburgh. And yeah, Edinburgh, Scotland. Doyles were a prosperous Irish Catholic family. And, okay, <laughs> first discrepancy. One place I saw that he had seven, there's seven kids, and one mm. place there was ten kids. Yeah, I actually don't know how many kids there were. There were between seven and ten children. <laughs> it's what I found. I can't believe I don't know this. Okay, but he was the second of between seven and ten children. <laughs> but unfortunately, this seems to be a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. His dad was an alcoholic. Mm. And it was really sad. Eventually, he had to be institutionalized. Yeah. With Arthur Conan Doyle having to sign the papers. That <laughs> some... Admittance papers? I guess. Yeah. Committal papers. Okay. Because we used to commit people to asylums instead of... If they, like, looked at you funny. Yeah. Or having a bad hair day. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm reading, at the moment, uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers, which mm-hmm. we talked about briefly when we talked about Truman Capote. But in that, there's a man who is committed to an institution simply for the fact that he can't speak. He is deaf and mute. Yes. And his cousin basically doesn't want to take care of him, and so he commits him to an institution. Yikes. Yeah. But it's a fabulous book. You should pick it up. All right. And I made a movie of it in the 60s. But yeah, so his dad was alcoholic, had to be institutionalized. Anything else about his childhood before we move on to his education? Nope. I'm much more interested in his adult life. Okay. Way cool. Sounds like he was close to his family. Mm-hmm. And he's, his brothers were also successful as well. So Arthur, he went to medical school at the University of Edinburgh, where he met a huge influence on his life. Dr. Joseph Bell. And he was one of his professors of medicine. And he was amazing. At observation, deduction, and minute detail about people. So, obviously, he mm-hmm. was a huge inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. In fact, did he dedicate his book, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, to Dr. Bell? I believe he did. And put his address, too, which was weird. That was, like, a thing yeah, back in the like, day. To Dr. Joseph Bell at 2nd Crescent Street. Oh, I was going to say 221B Baker Street, just oh, for fun. Yeah. But He graduates medical school in 1881. He, he joined a ship. <laughs> And became a, a doctor aboard the ship. He did a lot of weird doctory things. He was very adventurous. Yes. Real quick, before he graduated, this is just a real fun fact. He published his first story in 1879, and he also published his first academic article in 1879. He published actually a lot of, like, academic papers. But it was the 1800s, <clears throat> so it was all like, can snail juice actually make you see better? Yeah. This or, is, but this like, one is... <laughs> How to keep women from sneezing. Please put that at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> no, so his first paper was called Gelsemium as a Poison. Gelsemium? I have no idea what it is, but it's an excellent paper title and would also make a really good novel title. He seemed like a little bit Agatha Christie-like in that they were both kind of into poisons. Okay, I have a fun fact. Yeah. In the 1800s, Victorians would die and get really sick because they were all into this green wallpaper that oh, was yeah. super super popular so like if you were cool you had green wallpaper but the way they made the specific green is through arsenic mm-hmm. <laughs> and so people would get really really sick and sometimes die from the fumes off this arsenic green wallpaper so i think the 1800s were a big time of discovering like poisons can <laughs> what do. we are allergic to i mean because they were just <laughs> playing with mercury <laughs> right lead and all that stuff mm-hmm. um 
fun fact, the yellow wallpaper, a novella, I'll call it, by Charlotte, Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good I love call. Her. Is also based on a poisonous wallpaper. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. A uh, big shout out to our coworker Nathan Hansen. Oh yeah, who has uh, his own podcast called Jory's Tales, Myths, and Legends, and he reads yellow wallpapers. So check that out. Nice. But yeah, so they're really into poisons in the eighteen hundreds. So it doesn't surprise <laughs> me. She's like the queen of poisons. Agatha Christie is mm. uh, supposedly because she was a nurse, but actually because she was just a really intense weirdo indoor kid uh, who liked poisons. Not like to poison people, but just. As, like, an academic yeah, study question true, mark? True crime kid. Yeah, exactly. Like, the original true crime kid. Yeah. Except for Arthur Conan Doyle. So, he's adventurous. Tell me a little bit more about, like, his midlife. Well, he gets married in 1885 to Louise Hawkins, who's also called Tui. She's cute. <laughs> it's cute. They had two children together, and he loved being a dad. He said that his greatest achievement in life was when his son was born. Oh, Just... Sweet, but it's like, you already had a daughter. Oh, the kid. That was his second kid? Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, he had a girl. Arthur. And when his little boy was born, he's like, this, my life, greatest achievement. Oh, no. <laughs> um, But he, he loved being a dad. Okay. Yeah, he loved his family. And at this point, he is trying to, at various points, is trying to set up private medical practices. Mm-hmm. But he's not very good at it. He tries to into business or <laughs> yep. partnership with another medical student from he had studied with, and that didn't work out. He tried to have he tried his... to be an ophthalmologist. Yeah, that study eye well. doctor that didn't um, work out. <laughs> no, he tried to have his own practice, and he he said that not a single patient ever came to his door. Mm. But it gave him a lot of time to write. So when he was a... waiting for patients, he would just write consulting. Detective. I was trying to think of like a word that was like detective, but not. As a consulting doctor, he was not consulted often. He was not. Sad. Okay, so here's some fun facts about his midlife. Okay. We've mentioned him before, surprisingly, because he was very good friends with J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. So he actually collaborated with J.M. Barry on a libretto for Jane Annie, which is a musical play. Okay. Right? Uh, they did one together. Which is kind of cool. That's awesome. He was once on a cricket team with J.M. Barry, P.G. Wodehouse, and A.A. A. Milne of Winnie oh. the Pooh fame. Wait, and what did Wodehouse write? Uh, he wrote the the Jeeves novels. Oh, okay. They're mystery novels as well. Like the butler did it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think he is a butler. I've never actually read any of them. But it's Jeeves, and I think that's where all the after Jeeves, Jeeves and stuff from. Okay. come from. Yeah. So yeah, he was actually he was super sporty. Was on apparently really fun. Yeah, just like a a larger than life sort of like broy guy. Had a great mustache. Yes, he did. In 1887, he wrote his first Sherlock Holmes story, A Study in Scarlet, and it was published in Beaton's Christmas Annual. So Beaton's was like a family magazine, mm-hmm. like a, a Saturday Night Companion. Saturday, uh, Saturday Evening Post. Oh, okay. I was like... Yeah. Okay. I was thinking of Prairie Home Companion and then I, I said, Right. <laughs> yeah. It was sort of like a, a, a Saturday Evening Post. Um, but yeah, they'd have this like once a year Christmas annual in 1887, but he didn't get famous until he started writing his short stories. So his first short story, which is what I'm talking about today, Scandal in Bohemia, and that came out in 1891. And he also, around this time, once he was famous, met Oscar Wilde at a dinner with a publisher. Excellent. And out of this dinner, they were commissioned for 
Oscar Wilde was commissioned for a portrait of Dorian Gray. Oh, I didn't know that was commissioned. Yeah, at and this we're center. not talking about he was commissioned to paint the portrait. <laughs> no, <laughs> he was commissioned to write a portrait of Dorian Gray. Okay, and at the same dinner, Doyle was commissioned to write the sign of four. Oh, cool. Yeah, that yeah. must have been a real good dinner for everybody. I know. I wonder what they had. Right. Also, Oscar Wilde Consum. is my historical best friend. I would want to have. Yeah, he'd be so fun. He would. Maybe a little exhausting. But I fun. think so. I once worked on uh, the importance of being earnest and put it on at a local theater, and that was like the most fun I've ever had doing theater. It's the wittiest, funniest. He's hilarious. Play. I it's love so Oscar good. Wilde. Uh, my favorite Oscar Wilde quote. This is totally <laughs> go off. for it. My favorite Oscar Wilde quote is: "If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you." Right. Oh, the man. The myth, the legend, Oscar Wilde of it all. So I was surprised to learn that he only wrote his first go through of Sherlock Holmes stories for like two years before he got sick of it and he killed off Sherlock. He was real sick of him. Uh, Why was he so sick of him? I, I think it's just one of those things like you have so many things that you want to offer people. He was writing so many other things. Yeah, it seemed like he had a ton of interest. Yeah. And so... I think that he was like, I have more to offer than just this character. But everybody was like, oh, that's great. Tell me about Sherlock. Getting typecasted, basically. Yes. And so he he wanted to kill him off so we would never have to worry about him again. <laughs> <laughs> like To ward off the question of like, oh, what's Sherlock doing these days? He's dead. Exactly. He went out for cigarettes and never came back. Exactly. Uh, so yes, he kills him off in the mystery of Reichenbach. In a one? fight with Dr. Moriarty, his arch nemesis. Right. And his mom actually wrote him a letter that said, please, please, please don't kill Sherlock. I, I don't want you to. People were horrified. Yeah. But eventually he realized that that was his real moneymaker and uh, undeaded Sherlock. Well, did he undead him or? <laughs> it's it's confusing or, as to the timeline. Yes. What I read is that he would just set his stories before his death. Yes. Which is pretty smart. It's, it's pretty smart, but there's also some question about whether that timeline is accurate or not. Because sometimes it seems like it is, but sometimes it seems like time has moved on. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the problem when you write 56 short stories about one detective. Would you call this retconning? Yeah, a little bit. Early, early version of retconning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, rumors of my death. Are um, highly exaggerated. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For sure. But see, because he says that, you know that he's doing stuff after. So, yeah. yes, it's a little bit a little bit messy, for sure. Point is, he's alive and well and living in some villa in France or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, we'll get more into the story of Scandal Bohemian. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in 1893, he killed off Holmes in a fight with Moriarty. And around this time as well, his wife developed tuberculosis. And so he was pulling back from writing as well. Mm-hmm. So, pulled back. His wife did die. And then he got remarried to a woman named Jean Lucky, who, by all accounts, was actually the love of his life. Mm-hmm. She was 14 years younger than him. He had been in love with her since 1897. He maintains that <laughs> it was not a physical relationship to respect his wife, but absolutely was an emotional affair. For sure. But he deeply loved her. And it sounds like when they got married, the, their two families blended really well. And it's very sad and sweet. Do you know what his last words were? Mm-mm. When he died in Jean's arms in 1930, his last words were, you are wonderful. Oh. <laughs> oh. Are you, are you verklempt? I am. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah. Well, leading up to that, I'm sure we've got oh, some Oh, leading events. up to his death, he yeah. did bring Holmes back in 1901 <laughs> with oh, good. the very popular Hound of the Baskervilles. And he would go on to write 22 news stories. Mm-hmm. So the mysteries of Sherlock Holmes and the adventures of Sherlock Holmes uh, are kind of what the two were divided into. I believe the adventures are first and mm-hmm. then the mysteries. And then there are also four companion novels. Wide, wide Sherlock Holmes uh, universe to start with. And it is only expanded. And we won't do a deep dive in any characters other than one today. Right. So I feel like with Sherlock Holmes, he's so universally known mm-hmm. that just briefly, he's a consulting detective who lives at 221 Baker Street. B. 221 B Baker Street. Yes. In London. And his uh, companion, Dr. Watson, is chronicling his sort of uh, unique method of deducing Mm-hmm. Uh, crimes. He's sort of in awe of him all the time. Yes, that's as much as I'm going to say about him yeah. today, probably. And just a few more things about Arthur's life is that World War One, his son died mm. of the Spanish flu in 1918. And after this, he became absolutely obsessed with spiritualism, which I could do a whole podcast on. I'm obsessed with spiritualism. I hope we talk more about this, like, the next time we do Sherlock. We'll just talk a little bit more about it every time. Yeah, it got very popular after the Civil War. In the U.S. and also in England, started in the U.S., of people becoming obsessed with being able to speak to the dead and figuring out that, like, well, we have trains and we have wireless and we have telegrams and we're getting radio waves. It's just a matter of time until we'll be able to contact the the other veil. Right. That's what they would say. Outer veil? Yeah. The other Behind side of the, the veil. veil? I, I don't know. In Harry Potter, there's a veil. Sirius Black goes through it. Done. You'll have to tell me about that sometime. I know. <laughs> so he became a spiritualism, and he truly believed in it. At the same time, and I mentioned this in another podcast, is that Harry Houdini, the magician, was trying to debunk spiritualism, but they actually became good friends. Right. And they, they were both into exploring the world of spiritualism, but Doyle was way more of a believer. Yeah, Harry Houdini was actually actively trying to convince people that spiritualism was not a thing. Correct, he did his whole Right, could not contact the Mm -hmm. dead. book about this, which I mentioned on another podcast, uh, The Witch of Lime Street. Right. Which is about Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini nonfiction and their journey of spiritualism together. Right. The thing that I find most interesting about this is that uh, Doyle actually thought that Harry Houdini had actual, like, supernatural powers. And so he was like, hey, Harry, like, great show you put on. Way to do your supernatural thing. And Harry Houdini, like, did the thing that magicians never do and, like, revealed all of his secrets to Arthur Conan Doyle and was like, I am not actually magic. This is how I do this. Yeah, Harry Houdini was really into, this is just me being amazing. Right. He never pretended that he had special powers. Yeah. So he tells Arthur Conan Doyle all of this, and Doyle's like, Ah, Harry, (laughs) you kid, you're so funny. Um, Totally didn't believe him. That's hilarious. Was like, just convinced, absolutely 100% convinced. His whole life? Yeah. That Harry Houdini was actually magic. Even after Harry was like, stop, dude, like, no. Yeah, Um, I can't see Harry, like, he wouldn't go along with that. No. He never pretended that he was. No. They had a really bad falling out over it later. Uh, about the whole spiritualism thing, because mm. Harry Houdini actually thought that he was actively going to harm people, because he founded, like, a supernatural uh, society. It was called the Hampshire Society for Doyle Psychical... Did. Yeah. Hampshire mm-hmm. Society for Psychical Research, mm-hmm. and uh, was very actively trying to promote 
spiritualism, and Harry Houdini thought it was actually going to ruin people's lives. Yeah, so while Doyle had really good intentions, mm-hmm. because he had lost his son, and he wanted to be able to communicate with his son and give hope to other people, Harry Houdini saw it as a way that could absolutely be used to exploit people and take their money, right. even if that wasn't <clears throat> Doyle's right. intention, but other spiritualists you know, would take other people's money and say, oh, your dead brother's telling you this. So here's a few. This isn't the focus of this, but I think it's interesting because Arthur Conan Doyle himself is so interesting that he has been portrayed many a time in film. And Hmm. so here's a few of my my fun ones. Alfred Molina plays him in Drunk History. (gasps) I know. Wow. Uh, Peter Cushing plays him in The Great Houdini. Who's Peter Cushing? Uh, Peter, he's an old actor. I'm super, you, I think you'd recognize him. I know, but him. I love old stuff. I think What's you'd recognize him. I don't know. I, okay. Don't I'll, ever do I'll this Google sort of it. research. Thank you. Right. Peter O'Toole plays him in Fairy Tale, A True Story. She's thumbs upping me on that one. Tom Fisher plays him in my guilty pleasure favorite movie, Shanghai Nights. I've never heard of that. What? What? It's got Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson, and it's flippin' hilarious. It's got Peter Baelish. It's flippin' hilarious. It's flippin' hilarious. <laughs> I can't believe... It's such a 90s movie. I can't believe you've never seen it or heard of it. Okay. I don't know. I could watch it literally on... I do watch it literally on... Really? Yes, it's so funny. Like, is it good ironically or good... good? Uh, no, it's, like, good in a bad way. It's so bad, it's good. Okay. It's it's real good. You gotta watch it. Okay. Okay. And my last one is Ian Hart plays him in Finding Neverland, which we have talked about on this show. I didn't realize that Arthur Conan Doyle was a character in it, but yeah. they go to the cricket match. Yeah. J.M. Barry's cricket team, and he was on the cricket team. So he's one of the guys. I mean, is this pointed out in the movie? or is I it just... don't think so, but it's in the credits. Which I think okay. is real funny. Okay. Um, so those are all of my best Arthur Conan Doyle being portrayed in film. Cool. Not what we're talking about today, but fun. I love it. He wrote his autobiography in 1924. He called it Memories and Adventures. And like I said, he died on July 7th, 1930 when he was 71 years old of a heart attack. Nice long life, though. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Saying to his wife his last words, you are wonderful. Here. I know. Just here. He really loved her. Yeah. And he actually, though, was buried between his first and second wife. Oh. Yeah. So the three of them were all buried. That's lovely. Plot. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I won't say too much about the plot of A Scandal in Bohemia because it's a short story. It's literally like 20 pages long. Mm-hmm. Um. So telling you anything will spoil the entire thing. Basically, are we okay with spoiling? I'm okay it? with spoiling it, but I'm I gonna, feel like it's so old. I'm gonna try to leave some things in there. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> I'm for spoiling it if it's over 15 years old. I know. And I I'm, also feel I'm like not. our podcast is about talking about the plot. So sometimes, sometimes I like you want to about know, other things. See, sometimes you want to know the whole story because you're like, I'm not gonna read this. Okay. Well, if that's you, you you're just say you're missing out. Alert. There may be spoilers. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Just say no. Okay, A Scandal in Bohemia is, like we said, the first Sherlock Holmes short story. And it begins with one of, like, the greatest introductions of all time. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. To Sherlock Holmes, she is always the woman. And the is in italics. So you have to say the and not the. She is always the woman. I have seldom heard him mention her under any other name. In his eyes, she eclipses and predominates the whole of her sex. It was not that he felt any emotion akin to love for Irene Adler. All emotions, and that one particularly, were abhorrent to his cold, precise, but admirably balanced mind. And remind you, this is John Watson talking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I love their relationship, so. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, his admirably balanced mind, blah, blah, blah. And yet there was but one woman to him, and that woman was the late Irene Adler of dubious and questionable memory. <laughs> it's, I skipped a few sentences in there, but it is a fantastic paragraph mm-hmm. that immediately tells you that Sherlock Holmes uh, runs entirely on his reptile brain. <laughs> there is no love, no emotion, cold reasoning is all he's got. Uh, it also really quickly sets up Watson's admiration, just deep admiration for him. <laughs> and it gets to uh, the point where later on Sherlock Holmes says uh, he's only ever been bested four times and one of them by a woman. And this is probably the case he's talking about with the woman. Again, the timeline is a little bit messy, so he might actually have been bested twice by a woman. We don't know. <laughs> but it's probably Irene Adler he's talking about. Sherlock Holmes is consulted by the King of Bohemia, which is basically Czechoslovakia. Yeah, now it's the part of the Czech Republic, right? Mm-hmm. But it used to be an independent kingdom. When Conan Doyle was writing this, I think it was an independent kingdom. Uh, the King of Bohemia has been romantically involved with a woman named Irene Adler. She has a compromising photograph of them, and he wants to get married. And it's not even that it's like a sexy photograph. Right. They're just it, in a photograph. They just together. sat for a portrait together. Yes. But <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this. Probably that's the case, right? So he's trying to get married. He knows that his wife's family, who's another royal family in Europe, will not let him get married if they find out about his sordid past. And so he wants the photograph back. And Irene has said that she will mail it to them the day that he announces their engagement. So he wants Sherlock Holmes to get this photograph back for him. And the plot goes from there. And he's, uh, Sherlock's like, well, okay, have you, we try to get, he's like, oh yeah, I've burgled her home. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had her stopped at checkpoints. Right. And like. Searched. Searched her person. Uh-huh. So like, he's been harassing her to get this back. <laughs> I've heard, I and, didn't really think about that. Yeah. yeah. And she's described as an, quote unquote, adventurous, which can be interpreted a couple different ways. Yeah. So I found some evidence to suggest that at the time, adventurous was slang for courtesan. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. So she's a well-known adventurous is how they describe her. Uh, Audrey Niffenegger, she wrote the... Great name. uh, Yeah. The Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. Has a graphic novel out called The Adventurous, which I'm now... I have read it, but I forgot what it was about, and now I want to know if it has any connection. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to go back and reread. Anywho. So, yes. She might be a courtesan... It's never really specifically explained. Mind you, this is in the late 1800s. Decorum still prevails. So possibly, yes, this is just a normal portrait of them. But later stories often take it in a much different direction. I'll let you use your imagination. Well, we'll see in adaptations that they change the meaning of this. But in the 1890s, it would have just been enough to prove that they had a relationship, that they sat for a portrait together. Yeah. The funniest thing about it, Sherlock goes, well, do you, does she have any letters from you? And he's like, no. He's like, does she have any, like, proof that you guys know each other? And he's like, well, just the picture. And Sherlock's like, ah, picture, smicture, like, nobody cares. And he's like, well, we're in it together. And Sherlock is like, you're in it together. I know. <laughs> Clutching his pearls. Oh, my gosh. It's great. He's like, well, that is just the most compromising thing that could possibly mm-hmm. happen. Uh, well, because you think about it, if you wanted to photograph somebody else, you had to hire a photographer and like, right. go to their studio and yeah. you had to really mean it. Yeah. It's just so funny because he's like, everything else can be explained by forgery and theft. Mm-hmm. And, but the fact that you two are in a picture together is he's incontrovertible like, evidence. Oh, he's like, you're up a creek, man. Yeah. It's pretty funny. 
uh, in a very old-fashioned way. <laughs> so actually the interesting thing, this is why I want to talk about Irene Adler first, because she's in the first story, but also because she's only in this story. I know, and she looms large in the canon. Yes, which I think is crazy. They mention her several other times in other stories, mm-hmm. uh, two or three of them. But she's never seen again in anything The Doyle mm-hmm. writes. And she's honestly not even in A Scandal in Bohemia that much. No. Uh, no. She's mostly described secondhand, being a very attractive and very intelligent woman. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. That's almost all you get. I think she only talks to him one time. And she's special because she outsmarted Sherlock. Right. So he essentially goes through this ruse to go in and the big um Sherlockian oh, that's a great word. thing about this all is he's like, I'm going to get that photo. And John's like, okay, he's <laughs> like I'm going to get her to show me because I'm going to fake a fire. <laughs> this is really smart. I'm going to fake I mean, a fire. Anyone who's running from a fire is going to go towards the thing they want most. He says if it's a woman, they'll go for their baby. Okay. But it, since she doesn't have a baby, she'll look for her most prized possession, which is that photo. Good. I was going to stop you because he specifically says he has used this several times specifically against women <laughs> in the story. Like uh, He's a bit of a misogynist. He's a bit of a misogynist. Because he definitely says, I've used this several times to great effect against other women <laughs> because of, of, the woman will go for her baby. If she doesn't have a baby, she'll go for like the next most important thing. I forget what he says mm-hmm. it is, but it's also something very like domestic and yeah. uh, traditionally womanly. And he goes, but she'll go for the photograph because that's mm-hmm. the most important thing in the world to her. Hilarious. Which is genius. I mean, yeah, I, it's not wrong. I just wish that he had said anybody will go for <laughs> for the thing that they, they think is most important. Anyway. So he gets in her house by like pretending to be sort of like a common man. He stages a fight. He stages a fight and then she takes him into the house and then he has uh, Watson like throw in like a smoke bomb or something along <laughs> yeah. those lines. So she thinks it's A self-starting smoke bomb. Yeah, and she looks... <laughs> towards where the photo is she knew to be on the lookout for sherlock holmes mm-hmm. even though she didn't know what he looked like yeah so she realizes like seconds after she looked she just looks at the place where the photograph is you guys like mm-hmm. i wouldn't notice that because i'm me and i'm not super observant uh she realizes she's betrayed herself somehow like immediately sherlock is gonna go back the next day and get the photograph and by the time he gets there she is gone she has absconded with the photograph she says Hey, I knew it was you, but I'm not going to do anything with the photograph. Don't worry about it. Because she's just gotten married and Sherlock was like a witness at their wedding. It's a whole like weird, <laughs> weird thing. And then the King of Bohemia is like, oh, she said she's not going to do it. She's a woman of her word. Fine. I'm not worried about getting the photograph back anymore. I know. it's Or no, it was that she's happily married. So she has no right, reason. Right. She has no reason. But she wants to hold on to the photo because it's for her own protection, she says. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, the King of Bohemia sounds like a pretty scoundrelly sort of dude. He does, yeah. So I get it. Like, but I just think it's funny that he's like, oh, okay, she said it, I'm good. No know, need to worry like about it anymore. There's no lead up to this before. That I think it's now that she... Right. Now that, that she is married. happily married. The whole thing is kind of funny. I think it's pretty funny that she's only in it, like, so little. Like I said, it's a 20-page story at most. She talks to Sherlock twice, in fact, I guess. One time she says, hi, Sherlock, on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, their whole interaction. Yeah. But she has sparked this, like, crazy, like, you cannot do a Sherlock Holmes adaptation without running into Irene Adler. No, you can't. Well, because she's the only, besides Watson's wife, who is sort I of, love her. <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean, she's fine. It depends on what you're watching. Yeah, or, it totally or depends reading. on the adaptation. She could be bland or, or awesome. have agency. Yeah. Uh, watch the BBC Sherlock. She's excellent. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will. It's, she's real good in it. So, 
I mean, do you want to jump in to how she's been portrayed otherwise, other places? Yeah. I'd like to start with biography of Irene Adler. Oh, okay. So what's cool about her is that she is an American. She is from New Jersey, and she was born in 1858, mm-hmm. and she is an opera singer, although she is retired right. by the time a scandal in leukemia comes about. <laughs> right, because she's a professional adventurous. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but also, during this time, uh, actresses and opera singers were often associated with sex workers. Often. A huge difference in the book is that she's not a love interest. Right. He really is just impressed. Would you say that Sherlock Holmes is asexual? I would say in in the Doyle Sherlock Holmes universe, yeah. He also is, in the Sherlock show. In many adaptations, there's no love interest. There's none. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no romantic feelings at all. That's just not part of his... Yeah, it's not what it's about, more or less. Mm-hmm. It's it's superfluous to the, the yeah. mystery. In, in adaptations, they love to play with this uh, ambiguity. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I buy that. But at least in this story, nope, it is not about romance. Right. She gets married at the end. It's not about that. It's that. Right. My and God, he's not she's even so upset. Smart. He's a witness at the wedding. He's like trying to spy on her, and they both leave the house. He follows them to a church, and the guy's like, Great, we needed a witness because we uh, have to right. get married in you're three right. minutes for some reason. I don't really understand what that's about. I think there's some prosaic law about you couldn't get married after noon on certain days. I don't know. I could be wrong. But okay. there was some time constraint. Interesting. Yeah. So Okay, you're right. Yeah, okay. Sherlock ends up being a witness at her wedding. Yeah. So he's he's not mad. He's not, like, harboring no. terrible feelings no. for her new hubby. But it is a very convenient way of making her a love interest in adaptations when they need it. For sure. So she had some possible inspiration. So Arthur Conan Doyle possibly based her on a few of these different women. One, her name was Lola Montez. Her real name was Eliza Rosanna Gilbert, Countess of Lansfield. She was <laughs> Irish. And she was a dancer, an Irish dancer, who uh, traded herself as a Spanish dancer and courtesan. Oh, I was curious about the last name. Sort okay. of a Matahari okay. type lady. <clears throat> okay. And she became the lover of Ludwig of Bavaria. And if you see her portrait, you should Google Lola Montez. She looks exactly like the girl who's standing on top of an alligator at the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland. <laughs> Good what? Okay, excellent fun fact. I'm sure if, I'm sure if you Google it, you will know the, the picture I'm talking about. It's a girl holding a parasol. Okay. I'll do it after this. You look so skeptical. I'm okay, so yeah. skeptical. <laughs> uh, another person that she was possibly inspired from was Lily Langtree, who was a very famous actress. She was considered the most beautiful woman of the day. She was called the Jersey Lily, mm-hmm. but she was from Jersey, England. Also, if you've ever seen the series Selfridge, hmm. which stars Jeremy Piven as the London department store owner, she is in it as one of his uh, lovers. But she was, like, famous of the famous right. beautiful woman. Yeah. And who is her famous uh, lover? Her very famous lover <laughs> was, well, he was Prince Edward at the time. Right. Prince of Wales. So Queen Victoria's son, who mm-hmm. uh, was quite the womanizer. It was sort of a Marilyn Monroe JFK thing. Okay. Let's, that's the best way to compare it, I guess. That's, yeah. That's a good American comparison. <laughs> yeah. Another uh, inspiration, Ludmilla Stubel. So all L names. Yeah, I thought that too. Ludmilla Stubel, uh, lover and wife, and then life of Archduke Johann Salvatore of Austria. Mm-hmm. So just another famous socialite lady. Yeah. Yeah. 
there's lots of beautiful uh, adventuresses to base her character on. And yeah. let's talk now about, yeah, different adaptations. Okay. Uh, and did we ever finish how she actually outsmarted Sherlock Holmes by dressing up by a bo- like a boy? Oh, I we kind of mentioned it. When she goes by on the street and says, hi, Sherlock, uh, real quickly, she has dressed herself as a man, and she says, I have extensive background in theater and dressing myself as a man, because you can't dress as a man. Yeah. Scandalous. Uh, so it's because of her theater background. That and she, she also knew what a bad actor he was. Yeah. She was like, I saw that you were acting. Right. Because I'm an actress. Which is funny because literally everybody else, like, nobody else ever sees through his acting. You know what this makes me think of? It's a chameleon. Do you like Arrested Development? I've never seen it. Okay. So, uh, the main mom in it is really mean, Lucille, but the only thing that makes her happy is this private detective that they hire, and he always comes to her in a disguise, and she (laughs) never sees through it. His name is Gene Parmesan. No. So he'll show up as, like, an old sea captain, but then he'll, like, take off the mustache, and she'll be like, oh my god, that's amazing. (laughs) Okay. the only thing she gets excited about ever. So it's also a little bit like a series of unfortunate events. Oh, you're right. Where Mm -hmm. everybody is very fooled by Count Olaf, (laughs) except for the kids, and they're like, guys, that's Count Olaf. And everyone's like, no, that's Shirley, the receptionist. (laughs) Can't you see her fishnet stockings? Totally. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of thing. I do too. But it's funny because no one ever, no one else ever says, like, oh, that's obviously Sherlock and the mm-hmm. thing. In fact, Watson at some point, I think in this story, in A Scandal in Bohemia, says, like, if he wasn't such a brilliant, like, detective, he'd be a great actor. Anyway, I'll go through books really quickly. It, she surprisingly doesn't figure in a lot of the books very heavily, except for a man named William S. Baring Gould wrote two fictional biographies of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. And in one, he and Irene Adler have a son together, whose name is Nero Wolf. So that is in Sherlock Holmes of Baker Street. But you know Nero Wolf is a, a huge detective character in his own right? Right. Yeah. So he's supposedly their son. Mm-hmm. And then he has a subsequent one called Nero Wolf of West 35th Street, which is the other fake biography. Mm. So supposedly Nero Wolf is their son. John Lescourt also has a novel where they say... They have, they have a son, Nero Wolf. So apparently that's like a weird headcanon that everyone has put together. It's a headcanon. Headcanon. <laughs> this hasn't made the rounds lately. Um, headcanon no. is just like... I love I love when I learn new English <laughs> lit terms from you. Okay. Okay, so headcanon is just like anything that you impose on a story that you think should be canon. Oh, like fanfic. It's basically fanfic, yeah. So like me, personally, I really want in the BBC... Sherlock, I love John and Sherlock together. I want them to get married and live happily ever after. They're my headcanon. Their relationship is my headcanon. So that that's my mm-hmm. that's what a headcanon is. Oh, um. So yeah, apparently it's basically the fanfic canon. Yeah, like it, all the tropes where it's like like Sherlock and Watson should be together. Yes, John Locke. I ship that hard. I don't even ask. Okay, I ship John Locke. What is that from? What John Locke? It's John and Sherlock. Watson. Oh. It's John Locke. <laughs> okay. But that's that's what the interwebs would have you call right, it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. There's also some Carol Nelson Douglas mystery novels where Irene mm-hmm. Adler is a protagonist. Uh, and there's some crossover with Oscar Wilde and Bram Stoker and, like, Nellie Bly. So mm-hmm. those sound kind of interesting. Haven't read it. Yeah. The first of the books is called Goodnight, Mr. Holmes. She also has a 1993 book called The Canary Trainer where Irene encounters Holmes during his three-year, quote-unquote, death, 
<laughs> so yeah, this is like super deep meta, and he's working as a violinist in the okay. Then hear this in the Paris Opera House, and <laughs> Irene asks him to help her protect her friend and unofficial protege. Christine Daae from the Opera Ghost. Oh, from the so, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, so oh, this is really deep. That yeah, that's a lot of headcanons. And actually, I'm not sure if that's Carol Douglas, but it is a 1993 called the Canary Dream. I definitely read that too about the Christine mm-hmm. Daae. So I think that is right. The last two I'll mention in 2009, Laurie King, who I've never actually read any of her books, but I mm. always, when I'm shelving Stephen King, she's right next to him, and then Lily King, and then Stephen King, and I really love Lily King. And then do you get annoyed, too, if it's just um, by King, and then somebody, like, didn't see that it was... Yes. But, yeah. That, like, that Stephen and Lori, like, were all mixed in, and it should be separate yes. by... Okay, anyway. Their books look really similar, mm-hmm. um, so I get it. Not blaming. Not not blaming anybody. Human error. But if you're if you're reshelving your own books, <laughs> you happen to see the ones Lori King. Also, just don't just, shelf, don't reshelve oh, yeah. your own books. We'll do it. Bring them to us. We'll do it. That's fine. <laughs> I know. I love how we're like, no, no, we'll do it. And then the last one I'll mention is just that there is a manga series called Moriarty the Parrot, which there is... also is a manga series based on Sherlock <laughs> that I got out. Oh, okay. So there is a whole manga book that I read, and it's manga of Benedict Cumberbatch of a scandal. In Bill Gravia. Oh, that's a whole like, yeah. <laughs> like six degrees of Kevin yeah, Bacon right there. Totally. A, okay. Yeah. Uh, they're also graphic novels yeah. called Adler, where she is the main character. There is a 2014 short story called Sherlock Holmes of Golden Years, and Adler and Holmes eventually get together in that. Now let's get into TV and film adaptations. Okay. Here. So yeah, the Basil Rathbone is a big one. And I know you watched that, didn't you? Okay. Yeah. So tell me about her in that one. Well, it, I think it follows the story pretty straightforwardly. Okay. I think it's translated pretty straight from from the book. What do you think? Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I didn't get to rewatch. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was pretty... I, they're not love interests. They're no. not... And Basil Rathbone is excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah. His disguise in that is great. He's wearing, yeah. like, this giant nose and it, it's big eyebrows. Good. Yeah. I really like him as Sherlock. Uh, those old ones are pretty interesting, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't, I don't think that that one adds or it takes away anything from the Irene canon. No, it's it pretty, pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you watched that one. Did you watch any of the other ones? I did. I watched the two thousand nine okay. Sherlock Holmes, just the film called Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, which is I really love. I they're good together. Yeah, they're really <laughs> funny they're together. Real fun. Um, and Rachel McAdams plays Irene Adler as a love interest, but what's weird is that she's working for Moriarty. Right. And she's a thief. So right. in the original story, she might be an adventurous, but she's not a she's not a thief. Right. I don't think she that picture I think belongs to her as much as the king of yeah. Bohemia. It's more like they were like in a consensual happy relationship. They took a portrait together. She has it. He just wants it back for he's just worried that reasons. She, yeah, he's just worried. Yeah. Um but She's often portrayed in adaptations as being, like, an actual mastermind criminal. The thing about the Sherlock... She's a villain. Yeah. People, like, mix and match. So we'll talk about... In a couple minutes, I want to talk about another adaptation where she is Moriarty. Mm. Like, it's strange. Anyway, it's very strange. Um, But I love the 2009 film. Yeah. With Rachel McGuff. She comes in at the beginning and, uh, like, Sherlock is, like, passed out. uh, And she's just, like, in his apartment. He wakes up and she's just Mm -hmm. there. And she's talking about, like, olives from the Cyclades. 
and like old times that they've had together. Yeah, they do great exposition of showing, not telling, that they clearly have a history together. Right. Yeah. They have She's a like, I remember how you take your tea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly they used to be lovers and she's back. Right. And they do mention that he helped her out of a scrape with some famous royal mm-hmm. person. So they kind of nod to a scandal in Bohemia. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is very much a different thing. I like her in this. She wears pants, which I think is interesting because this is a period adaptation. It's very 2009 girl boss. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in order for me to have agency, I have to dress like a man or have manly characteristics. Right. I mean, she does dress in, like, frilly dresses a lot, but she also, like, kicks a lot of butt in but those when she's dresses. Kicking, you're right, she does kick butt She in does. Dresses. She almost gets mugged, and then she totally, like, gets that's, the better of a couple of guys. That's true, and she steals his wallet mm-hmm. in a dress. Yeah. You know what? Okay, I take that back. Okay. Yeah. But, but there are times where she is wearing uh, pants, and it's actually, she's... That girl pulls off a pair of overalls like nobody's business. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) I look like Barney the Dinosaur in overalls. Yeah, me too. Good for her. Yeah. Honestly. She's pulling it out. They're like pinstriped overalls, and she looks darn good, good, man. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it definitely takes a period portrayal of Irene and kind of flips it on its head. Mm -hmm. She's working for Moriarty, Mm -hmm. so you get the sense that she's a little bit of a damsel in distress because she kind of needs Sherlock to disentangle her from that in the second movie, not so much in the first one. In the first one, she is kind of um, like, I told you my contract is up. Right. So that we don't think she's entirely evil, I guess. Right. (laughs) Like, she was contractually obligated to be evil for a while, but now she's she's It's very Disney Hercules. Oh, yeah. Megara and Hades. <laughs> Energy. Yeah. I buy that. But she's great in it. She does, obviously, she's not like a total femme fatale, right? Like, she does save herself a lot. I really hate the scene. There's a scene later on in there where she's, like, about to get sawed in half. Yeah. And um, I really can't watch that scene. It's very damsel on the railroad track. It is. Um, And that's about the only time where I think it's kind of, like, really stereotypically, mm-hmm. like, old tiny. I forgot what happens to them at the end. She leaves. She she does best him. She takes the thing that he wants and leaves. But he has stopped the villain so it doesn't really matter. Mm. But that leads into the second one. She gets this part that he was also looking for and delivers it to Moriarty and that like is the catalyst for the second movie. She's only really in the beginning of the second movie, right? Yeah. She dies? Something happens to her. I haven't seen the second movie know. in a long time. I really love the first movie. And then I never get around to watching yeah. the second movie again. They're fun movies, though. They're Definitely great. worth checking out. So let's talk about some TV shows. Modern TV shows. Modern TV. This is all, in fact, the same year, the two that I want to talk about, they started. Which one do you want to talk about first? So elementary first. Okay. So I just, I'm not familiar with elementary. That's fine. I just binged an entire season of elementary <laughs> in the last, like, three days. So I could talk about that. Yeah, I'm not joking. Would I like it? Um, no. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. I like Law & Order. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I actually, so when it came out in 2012, I watched like the first couple episodes and I was like, this is dumb. I hate this. Has Lucy Liu in it, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, It's got a gender swapped John Watson. So she is now Joan Watson, played by Lucy Liu. Oh, then who's Sherlock? Johnny Miller. Oh, so it's still a man it, So it's Sherlock. still a man Sherlock. Okay. They just gender swap Watson. Okay. And when I watched it in 2012, I hated it. And I was like, I am not wasting any of my time. Um, and then I binged it in three days this week. So I, I changed my mind about it. I okay. actually quite enjoyed it this time around. I think you might like it, actually, because it is a little bit SVU-ish, right? Where they go through, there's like it's one procedural. case. It. It's a procedural. Okay. And a pretty decent procedural. And there's, I don't know. I haven't obviously watched past the first season at this point. 
But I like that there is a gender-swapped Watson where they're not really a thing either. Like, they live together, but they're, like, roommates. She's his sober companion. I mean, it's, like, SVU, um, Benson, and... Stabler. Stabler. It's, yeah, it's exactly Their like that. partner's not loving. Thank you. That's a perfect example. However much in the headcanon we want that uh, to yes. be, so... My headcanon, they're together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I binged the entire season because I read, while doing research for this, that Irene Adler did make a cameo later on. But in the first couple episodes, it's like six episodes in before they even talk about her. Okay. And then he's like, she's dead. I don't want to talk about her. Okay. And I, then I had to watch like 12 more episodes before they talk about her again. I was like, okay. Do they say that she's dead or just... No, she's dead. No, no in the book. In the oh, movie. well, there's a question about it. Because it does say the late Irene Adler. Yeah. So she could be dead. However, late also just means once was. So since she has gotten married... Oh, it could be nay. Right. It could be Nay Adler. So, there's two different ways to take it. I think he was leaving himself an out in case he, like, needed to bring her back for future story or, like, you know what I mean? I mean we know that he will kill people and bring them back. Exactly. So, I, I think it's just an <laughs> He'll old... He'll do it. <laughs> an old-timey way to say mm-hmm. it's a little bit ambiguous. A lot of stuff in this is ambiguous. Can I go on, like, a, like a two-sentence, three-sentence rant? I'm counting your sentences. Go. Okay. <laughs> One. As is the situation that today people say, oh, oh, everyone's obsessed with true crime, what monsters we are nowadays. Two. Semicolon. <laughs> uh, North Americans and Brits have been obsessed with true crime since at least the Victorian period mm-hmm. uh, to an immensely high degree. two everyone complains today that their favorite show creators kill off characters Mm. as stupid plot points comma semicolon (laughs) this was already going on with sherlock holmes oh yeah when arthur conan doyle killed off their beloved character so there's nothing new under the sun that is my rant learn from history good rant yeah (laughs) okay okay so I already spoiled this one a little bit, but I don't feel bad because the show is 10 years old. And there's eight more episodes or seasons or whatever to watch. So um, you find out pretty quickly when Irene comes back that she is Moriarty. And she had this dastardly plot. Like, Sherlock accidentally came across some of her schemes while they were in London. So she, like, hatched this whole plot to seduce him and make him fall in love with her and then fake her own death. And I'm like, why even... It doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay. why go through all of that? Yeah. Um, she says it's because she's really curious about him, because she was she was just going to kill him, but she got curious because he seemed like kind of a cool dude. So she like decided to find out what he's all about and was like, oh, you're almost at my level. You're kind of cool, so I'll let you live, but I'm going to fake my own death and just peace out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she comes back, and she's played by Natalie Dormer, mm. who is Marjorie Tyrell. In Game of Thrones. Also plays Anne Boleyn and the Tudor. Yes. So a a human being that I very much admire, but she, in this show, she is acting, like, hard. Like you're impressed or? No, like she is trying. Like she's acting the heck out of it. So hard. And you can tell, like, it's too hard. Like, just, she's at like a 15 and she needs to be like a nine. <laughs> so you don't like her performance? I don't. Oh, I think okay. it's, it's too, I can't too tell. Much. I've never seen her 
I've never heard her, I guess, do an American accent. Oh, yeah, she's always in period pieces about yes, England. Yes, like England. Um, and I don't know if it's just because she has to try so hard to do the American accent. I don't know if it's just because she had to, like, do this twist from being, like, a like a femme fatale into being, like, a criminal mastermind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the writing or the directing or what. But, like, she is trying way too flippin' hard. Okay. And it's hard. And like, it shows. It shows. I was like, I feel bad because I really like her. I think she's great. Mm. But it's too much. Okay. All right. And that's All right. So. But I like the show overall. Okay. So far. <laughs> My one season I've yeah. binged this week. Well, do you want to wrap up with the probably, like, most popular yes. Sherlock adaptation because for today? Yeah. So, I think the most popular Sherlock adaptation right now, if somebody was to think about what's on mm-hmm. Sherlock. Which, when did it end recently? It ended, it was yeah, on for maybe a while. two years ago. Because it started in 2012, and I think it might have ended in 2019. Okay. So we're talking about the series Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. So Irene appears in an episode of this called A Scandal in Belgravia. It's the first episode of the second season. I love these ones because they are like a full movie length episode. Which I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. So each That's season I was is like, only... I'm going to watch this. Then go to bed. I'm like, oh, this is so long. <laughs> I'm going to watch this and go to bed real late. I went to bed real late. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're like an hour and a half long each. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. It'll be like 45 to an hour. I'm like, oh. No. Oh, it's like two. Okay. Yeah. It's long. They're movie length seasons, and each season is only like three episodes long because they basically shot three movies a season. Which is very BBC. Mm-hmm. And so Irene shows up in here, and they have taken the courtesan idea to... Uh, it's logical end, mm-hmm. where she is actually a an escort, mm-hmm. um, a dominatrix for high rolling clients. Mm-hmm. So, so, and I do think that the Sherlock in this universe is attracted to her, although she is gay. Well, I think it's interesting. They <clears throat> kind of muse on this. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to make any mention of like where he stands on. <laughs> on romantic feelings. And so John Watson is having a conversation with this Hudson. And he's like, so is he in love with her? Or has he ever had a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Right, or, right, or in anyone? Or in anyone, he says. And she's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, shouldn't we know? <laughs> so they really leave it super open-ended. Yeah, very. Yeah. But there definitely are, like, way sexual vibes, or what's the... Overtones? I wouldn't even call it overtones. It's overtly sexual. Yeah, or at least um, Irene Adler is playing it as if she is trying to seduce Sherlock. Yeah, you can't really tell how he's Mm -mm. responding to it, if it's just, like, he's attracted to her intellect, or if he's actually sexually attracted to her. Which don't have to be separate things, right? That's true. They could be the same. But I did like that they included that part of, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, anyone? Right, anything... No, we don't know. None of our business. Which okay. I felt like was speaking to the audience of us trying to figure it yeah. out. Like, none, like what, none like of your business. If you watch that show, a thing that they do a lot is use technology and the screen to convey information. So a thing that they do a lot is Sherlock will look at someone mm-hmm. and words will come at the screen of like things that he is deducing from their, their person. I like that. Yeah, I think it's great. It'll be like dog hair. Three dogs. Three, Yeah, has yeah. three dogs, goes to work late. He's hungover. He is. Oh, yeah. yeah. He looks at Watson like he... 
he had circles under his eyes. He's like, he went out with, you know, his friend right. last night, yeah. clearly. So oh, the, he's wearing nice shoes. He's going on a date. So you you get clued in on a lot of what Sherlock is deducing in mm-hmm. a really fun kind of way. I think the BBC show is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, it is. I definitely uh, want to get more into it. And so he shows up to talk to Irene Adler. It's great because there's a scene beforehand where she's, like, deciding what to wear. Because she's, like, a dominatrix, right? Mm-hmm. She's got all these, like, crazy outfits. She's deciding what to wear. And she tells her assistant she wants to wear her best suit. And she comes out naked. And <laughs> Sherlock, it does the thing where he's looking at her and it just has question marks. Yeah. Like, coming at the screen yeah. because he can't deduce anything because she's not wearing anything. <laughs> so and there's, he- like, nothing for him to figure out oh that's funny i didn't watch it as because she's naked he can't figure it out oh yeah i just read it as she is so unknowable oh i i mean yes but also because she's literally stripped off Mm -hmm. all of the trappings that sherlock normally makes deductions Mm -hmm. from although i will make the point is that he knew his friend hung over because he had like circles under his eyes for sure i think it's also trying to play Mm -hmm. into like maybe he i mean attracted to her so like he's not thinking straight i think it's a little bit of everything yeah Little column A, little column B, but it's funny. It's it uh, if funny. you've watched the whole show, that's a funny moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be especially because I hadn't watched Sherlock in years and years, mm-hmm. and so I just thought it was funny from watching it. But I think it was oh. probably extra funny because that's the first person who's ever been mysterious to him, right? Right, and I, I just think it's done in a really funny way. And she does make appearances uh, later on in the show, but just like small cameos, mm. and they they have like a text relationship, like they keep in touch. Like, really kind cryptically, of kind of flirty, but kind of not. He does intellectually, intellectually attracted to yes. each other. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in every version of this, he is intellectually attracted to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Just sometimes they mix in romantic attraction as well. There is one thing that I don't love about the BBC Sherlock, <laughs> and that is that she has this phone that he has to break into that has all the scandalous pictures of her with a member of the royal family. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I am blank, blank, locked. And he's, like, only got so many attempts to break into the phone. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that it's, I am sure, locked. And I'm like, she's supposed to be this super intelligent, <laughs> super... <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, a, it's like a escape room yeah. level puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it's basically that. So that... That kind of bums me out. It's funny. I definitely do have a shirt that says, I am Sherlock. I'm not going to lie to you. Do you really? I really do. I mean, I'm uh, saying this while wearing... What, I what am I wearing right now? Uh, Roxanne is wearing a really cute shirt that has a ghost with a book, and it says books. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is great. It's festive. It's October 28th yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Not while you're listening to this, but while we're talking about this. Yeah, hello from the past. So, I do love the BBC Sherlock. I like Irene Adler in it for the most part. Yeah. But she's definitely a... Criminal mastermind, but not working for anyone else. She's working for herself. Oh, yeah, she works for Irene, works for Irene, man. Mm -hmm. And she works it. So that's one of my favorite adaptations. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And worth like 25 watches. Yeah. Want to watch it again? Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, I want to get completely into the show. Yeah. How many seasons are there? Like eight? No. There's like three plus like a movie. Oh. That I, and I did see the movie in the theater. That's nine movies, dude. Ten movies? That's like 20 hours of your life. It's still a decent amount of time. Considering how much I watch for Nancy Drew and for Frankenstein, (laughs) clearly I'm up to the task. Yeah, you definitely can do it. Well, this was super fun. It was. You will (laughs) notice again, we did not talk at all about really about Laws and we didn't talk about Moriarty hardly at all. Because we want to uh, save them for future episodes. Yeah. Specifically because our past guest, Nathan, loves Moriarty. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to hear his take on some of those. Right. But yeah, this was about Irene. I do just want to mention that I am 
such a big Sherlock Holmes fan and such a fan of puns, which I know Roxanne just absolutely abhors, um, that my cat's name is Perlock Holmes. Okay, that's that's cute. <laughs> I'm a big Sherlockian fan. So. Just a couple of fun things. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he is the most adapted fictional literary character on film. The reason I'm being so specific about this is because I told Nathan that I had won this trivia contest and he was very skeptical <laughs> because I said just adapted character. But oh. I want to confirm it's adapted to film and that actually makes sense. That does. Because if you think about it, then like Greek mythology would obviously overshadow everything. Right. Yeah. Like Hercules or would. Yeah. yeah. All those. If we're talking about plays. Anyway, Sherlock is obviously very loved and um, there are some museums that you can go to where you can go see his like study we haven't even gotten into his drug use no because we'll save that for the sherlock episode of sherlock but uh yeah you can can visit some different places like university of minnesota where i went (laughs) has a huge collection of sherlock holmes materials and you can go visit the sherlock holmes room uh there's museums all over the world there's a sherlock holmes pub in london i would love to visit sometime so yeah i would love to do more in this series yeah me too i'm excited about it do you have any other fun facts I don't have fun facts, but I do have some suggestions for reading. I went mostly based on the femme fatale character and different uh, variations of femme fatales for my reading recommendations. Okay. In general. So one would be The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Which also is a wonderful movie that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Darn straight. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Nope. We should do that one. We should. Uh, one that I don't highly recommend, but that Roxanne probably would, is Gone Girl by Julian Flynn. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of got that same sort of female agency kind of. Yeah. But the reason I like it is, as I was kind of saying before, I like when a evil woman is written by a woman. Mm-hmm. Gone Girl, totally. Yeah. Gone Girl, I think, kind of fits in there. Sharp mm-hmm. Objects, maybe a little <clears throat> bit less, but I like that one more, so... I'll give that one. I'll also recommend Laura Lippman's When And When She Was Good. Okay. Tana it's French's, called And When She Was Good? Yes, with the okay. and in front, which I almost forgot. Tana French's In the Woods, Circe by Madeline Miller. Ooh. I, yes, I think that's maybe one of the best ones to go along with this as a mm-hmm. companion novel. We discussed that very briefly in our Odyssey episode. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fantastic book, mm-hmm. and I think really has some parallels to this. And the last one would be The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I've been meaning to read that. I, said t- I, I think you would like love it. it. Okay. Uh, it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I really do think you would like it. But it's got uh, that sort of like Hollywood starlet trying to like forge her own path in a time that maybe wants to kind of keep her down. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of really good stuff in it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Michaela. I love your book recommendations. Thank you. I have fun doing those. <laughs> um, yeah. See, if we had a tagline to say at the end, we could say it here. <laughs> but that's where we need your help, please. Please. We also just really want listener emails, so please email yeah. us at nice things, please. <laughs> We're fragile. I'm fragile. <laughs> I'm fragile as well. <laughs> please be nice. Um, please like us. Uh, podcast at communitylibrary.net, uh, and we will read them and respond to you and, and let us know where you're from because we're nosy. We- <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so with that, happy reading. Happy watching. We'll talk at you later. And we're not going to say the book is necessarily better.
was about to say, I don't think I'm awkward. Am I awkward? No, it's no. just me. But I like <laughs> yeah. to pretend that people are in my same I'm boat. I'm very corny and enthusiastic. <laughs> Do you know if he wrote his own autobiography? Well, it is, of course. Okay. No. No. <laughs> uh, I was going to make a really good point. <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> Karma. <laughs> Get out. I know, don't you miss me? Kind of. I do. 